right, good deal. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's like I was sharing with you a little bit earlier. You know, it's an interesting thing when you think about, when you think about this, this term we call church, and when you think about this is us, it's an incredible, as you put it together, I want you to see something. When, when I say the word church, my bet is something comes up in your mind of, uh, of, of either the way you were raised or what you've always thought it to be. And, um, and what, does that, what does that mean? This, when, when we give this title, this is, this is us, okay? It's a powerful title because there's great strength in understanding who you are. And um, because then purpose and all kinds of things follow along. And so, so, so this is us is, is what I wanted to share just for the first few weeks of this year. I just want you to know who you are. And then, and if that's who you are, then, then let's be who he's called us to be. You know, like I said before, so many people, even the lost world around us, has an idea of what they think we ought to be. Just ask them, hey, what do you think a church is? And, and or we think a church you know, ought to be or whatever. <laughs> and most of them will give you some sort of a, you know, help the poor and needy kind of benevolent kind of thing. But, but remember this, is that is not who you are, okay? That may be what you do, but that is not who you are. Because everything that a believer is, therefore everything that a church is, stems from who you are, not what you do. Right? Therefore, when people give you uh, this thought of, well, I think the church ought to, I think the church ought to, I think the church ought to, everybody's got a thought, everybody's got an opinion. But the scriptures are real clear, right? <clears throat> How that works out to so many different people looks different. It's as different and widely varied as you are. But who we are and forgetting that because the climate can change uh, in, in the culture around us. And, and we can adapt to different climates. We can begin to think different things. Every once in a while, you just need to stop and take a look again, afresh, anew, it, it, who we are. This is us, right? And it keeps you focused on who it's caused to be. Because even within the church, right? There's as many varied opinions of what you think, you know, and it usually depends on what are heartbeats and passions of yours, you know, whether, you know, I think we ought to be, I think we ought to be more of this. I think we ought to be all more of that. I think we ought to do more of this. I think we ought to do more of that. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. And everybody's got a different thought. Everybody's got a different opinion. <clears throat> I know because I hear most of them, right? I do, you know, we ought to we ought to be more evangelistic. We ought to focus on discipleship. We ought to be mission-minded, all right? We ought to be reaching out to those who are in need. We ought to be, we ought to be, we ought to be, we ought to be. And in reality, God's given you a different heartbeat, every one of you. But here's what, here's what I want you to hear, all right? When you say, you know, I don't think the church is, being, is, is doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know what you're really saying is that I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why? Because you are the church, right? 
It's you. It's not denominations. Denominations only mess it up. Right? You know, the different titles and all that. No, 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 no. I want you to understand that that's who you are. Right? So when you say, you know, I think the church ought to be doing this, then you're saying, I think I ought to be doing this. That's why, I mean, I, I rarely have, I used to have it all the time, but I rarely have people come tell me that. Because you've got to be prepared if you come tell me something like that. I think the church ought to be, and then I'm going to look at you and say, well, good, praise the Lord, you're chairman. <laughs> all right? You tell me what you need. But see, that comes from a lot of times people wanting to sit in a chair and, and, and quarterback from the chair. And, and, but they don't really want to do anything. So that, that doesn't happen all the time. Believe it or not, I said, you're the chairman. A lot of times people take it and try to run with it and I'll, I'll help you. All right. But I have found that's still not who we are. Right. Now there's a great mystery. The Bible talks about this mystery and I'm going to talk about it over the next few weeks because I want you to know <clears throat> because so many people listen to me, guys, listen to me. So many people think that church is the show you do for one hour a week, right? And that the strength of a church has to do with how, how good is the show. Okay, that's sad. That is not who we are. We do gather together and worship corporately. That is what this time is for, to get together to worship corporately, to hear what God's word says together, right? And, but when it comes down to a we, are so much more than the hour a week. He's called us to so much more. In fact, unless you're younger in your faith, which I think there may be, be some of you here that are younger, which is wonderful, by the way. Don't, don't ever let in, don't let it bother you. If you're young, if you're brand new in your faith, don't let that bother you, right? Um, because you won't be that way for long. So, but if you've known the Lord for a while, then I ask you the question because especially the culture, this is how the climate has crept in to this whole thing that's called church. Because what did Jesus mean when Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if Jesus is doing that, then we're part of something that is more than just an organization. It's something that he's at work doing and putting together. And what happens is, is when we get off track and start thinking what other people tells us we ought to be as opposed to being who we are, right? So it's an incredible thing. I, I'm going to be sharing this with you over the next few weeks, but it's, a, it's an incredible thing to see what that really means. <clears throat> because so many times we get to the point to where, I mean, I watch, I watch people and have watched for years now in doing what I do. And when we become, when we get away from this is us to, don't miss this, to this is me, now, the day's title is This Is You. I want you to see who you are in Christ. But when, the other one to me is, is when you come to church, when you are part of a church, whatever it is, right, what does that mean to you? 
is it all about, you know, how it affects you? Now, if you're young in your faith, then that's still okay. That's still good. I need to be in a place where, where I, can, I can plug in. I can need to be in a place where people can help me learn and grow because I'm just learning. I'm just growing. But if you've been a believer for a while, my question for you is, is it all still about you or is it all about others? Right? Because by its very nature, a church is to be making a difference that is people in other people's lives. Now, so I can't tell you, you know, I can't tell you, well, you know, I, you know, I don't like, I don't like going there because I, you know, and they got a whole lot of lyrics and then they start skipping around to all kinds of different ones. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And I asked the question, are you there for you? Or are you there to be? I don't want that to be too philosophical, but are you there for what I get out of it? Or are you there to, to give? When the Bible talks about being a living sacrifice, when does that start happening? Well, what does that mean? It has to do with what the church is. Therefore, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give of who I am, and I'm going to combine that with a whole lot of other people and who give who they are. And the Bible has a term for what that is. It's called the body of Christ. Everybody's got a different gift. Everybody's got different abilities. And when you work together in unison, giving to make an impact, you can change the world. And the church has changed the world. It's struggling some now, but it has changed the world. Just read your history books. When people come together or church is not what they can get, but they come to say, okay, I've grown enough. I need to start being a part of what he's doing, right? And there is no greater joy in a believer's life than when they're plugged in in an area where they're gifted with other believers. It's unbelievable what God can do. That's when the impossible begins to happen, right? That's when the impossible begins to happen. And so, so this is what I want to talk to you about. So first, the title today is This Is You, because this is you, the, the, the series is This Is Us, so don't get confused, all right? But I wanted, to start, I wanted to start with this. Before I start talking about who we are, we need to go basic and talk about, just for one week, just talk about who you are in Christ, right? Because in reality, we are only going to be as strong as you are. That makes sense, doesn't it? If, if in reality, that's, that's the picture, which is the picture of what the scriptures taught. <laughs> There's no way for me to get this total idea, idea to you in one week. So this is going to unfold over a few weeks, you know, three, three, two, three, or four, maybe. And because, and again, you're not, you're not going to leave, right, this series, you know, blown away, right? It's the joke I like to say, I'd never a man spake like Jeff spake today. It's not one of those series. It's reminders. It's reminders of who you are. And I tell you what, sometimes when you have to live in this world every day, you forget who you are in him, right? And when you forget who you are in him, we will begin to forget who we are in him. That becomes a picture. So we're going to start basic. That's today, right? 
We're going to start basic and, uh, and, and talk about who you are. Now, the metaphors, and I know I use that word often, but there's so many in the Bible, and I don't know any other better term. Symbolisms, you know, analogies, metaphors, whatever you want to call them. But there's so many in the Bible about what we're talking about, and uh, especially with the individual. <clears throat> and so it's used in several occasions, like, like the whole thought of, um, of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head, right? And then we have the building, right? The foundation is Christ. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And then, if you've ever been at a, a construction site, it's actually pretty cool. Everybody's got a different job. But it's incredible how they can all pound, beat, deliver, take all, haul off, paint, and it turns into this incredible building, right? It's like, how did that happen? Well, a whole lot of people got on the same page and started doing something, right? Now, so that's today. But there are other analogies, like the farmer, right? The farmer goes out, you know, and gets the soil ready and has all this equipment, in our day anyway, and uh, gets the soil ready. And, but here's the key. It doesn't matter how much work the farmer does if the seed's not any good, right? So the foundation of farming is the seed. All the DNA that's needed to, do, to grow a stalk of corn is found in a one seed. And so the scriptures has been, you know, Jesus is the head, the foundation, you know, uh, being born again. So it's been, it's been compared to like someone's life, you know, there's conception where the incredible miracle of life begins, gestation, all right, birth. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, something that wasn't there before that is now there. So these metaphors go on and on and on and on about what we're talking about today. But I want you to know that they all, if you're a believer today, they all pertain to what has happened in you, if you're his, if you're his. This new creation, this seed that was planted and something sprung up, this foundation upon which things that are built and all of the different analogies that go with it. So I just wanted you to hear it, that today we're going to talk more about the building, okay? And you'll see it in this particular life. And this is you. That's the main thing I want you pulling from today. If you're a believer or if you're here today and you're not sure if you're a believer, but you want to know what it means to be that, it's going to be very clear today, very simple. First Corinthians. Now, as I've loved to say before, Paul wrote the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians especially. It is on basic, basic, basic level. Because, Lord, if I ever am part of a church, a local church, Lord, don't let it be anything like the church at Corinth. They were out of control, but part of it was where they lived. If you think of the most decadent city in our country, or maybe even in the world, that was Corinth. I was going to give you a few illustrations but somebody will probably be from there and you'd get offended, right? I'd get a letter. So anyway, I'm not gonna tell you, but think of the most decadent city you know, that was Corinth. Corinth was just an ugly place, but, but God led Paul there and they started a church. And so these, these people's lives were changed, but, <coughs> but it was hard for them to undo some of the garbage around them that was in their, in their lives. And so this is the context of of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, part of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I want to share with you is a little bit later, but I wanted to start in verse 1. I just have a heartbeat, guys. I'm just being honest with you. I have a heartbeat for you to know 
what it says. But past that, I just don't want you to think I'm cherry-picking verses out here and here and here and letting them say something. I want you to see why we get where we get, right? And that's, we'll cover these first few verses just so you know, all right, what Paul was talking about, all right? Anyway, but he goes on, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now, they were believers, but they were so immature in their faith, which is not what we're talking about today, by the way. But this is the context of when Paul explained this whole foundation building and all thing, all right? But he goes on to say, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people because you're still just incredibly immature. He said, but, but as people of the flesh, what does that mean? <clears throat> well, the flesh is, the word sarks there, the word flesh is just, it's like the flesh that's on you. But it's, it's, symbol, it's symbolic for the sinful nature that all, that all of us, that, live, that rests in all of us. You know, it's an incredible thing, you know, that we, we live in a world where, where people tell us that there's no such thing as a sinful nature anymore. And that's, you know, you're just denying, you know, the facts in front of you to fit into an own agenda. Because if you've ever had children, you know they were born with a sinful nature. Good gracious, how long do you have to look, you know? when they throw a tantrum on the floor, like when my, my oldest ran around the house, she was an only child at the time, she ran around the house with her toy yelling, mine. And I said, well, who else's? Right? There's a, if a child says thank you, then that child's been trained. A mama and a daddy have spent a lot of time saying, and what do you say, right? Because that's, that sinful nature lives in us. But what happens? Here is the, what the Scripture teaches about who Christ is, that seed. What happens is we put our faith and trust in him, that seed, that rebirth, that foundation, whatever you want to call it. And it begins to grow. And as it begins to grow, as you begin to grow, you begin to have strength over that sinful nature that lives in you. And things begin to change. That is the miracle of conversion, salvation, whatever you want to call it, is that he begins to work in you. A seed starts small, but the scripture, as Jesus says, but it grows large. And to me, that's become one of the great pictures of what it means to be a believer. But the problem was they were living in Corinth. It was such a decadent, ugly place. They were having trouble getting strength over certain areas of their of their life that they already had, but was just underdeveloped, if that makes sense. That's what he's talking about here. He says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people, right? I had to talk to you as those who are flesh. He says, as what, infants in Christ? Okay, infants? It's incredible, you know, as, you know, if you're brand new in your faith, God bless you. Don't let that bother you, right? <clears throat> if you've been a believer a while, you should start to see this strength growing in you, right? That's what he's talking about. He says, I fed you with milk. This is Paul talking. Not solid food, but because you were just not ready for it. You almost refused it. It's like weaning a child, right? And even now you are not ready, but you're still, you're still in the flesh. You're still, you're still living that way. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Right? So Paul is telling us that one of the key distinguishers between someone who's a believer is that they will start to see in their lives over time strength to overcome the things in their lives that they couldn't overcome before. 
It's the Christian experience. It's an amazing thing, you know? And I, I'd love to keep talking on that. That's not the subject today, but it's the foundation of what I want to talk to you about, so I needed you to see it. But there's nothing wrong with a two-year-old acting like a two-year-old. But when a 13-year-old acts like a two-year-old, there's work that needs to be done, right? Oh, my goodness, this past Christmas holiday, grandbaby was in town, right? Three, three days, hun, four and she's 20 months old. God bless her, I love her to death, she's awesome. And we were so gung-ho to have her come for three, four days. But you know, <laughs> you forget what it's like taking care of a 20-month-old. And after about four days, it was like, oh, it was nice seeing you. And, you know, give me a few weeks and I'll be like missing her crazy again, bring her back, right? But I want you to understand, she broke most everything that was breakable. <laughs> because our house is not two-year-old proof anymore. Why? Because we have older kids. And now most of them, they're all moved out. They were all back home. But we don't have to put stuff up. We don't have to change our whole house. Why? Because we don't have a two-year-old that lives there anymore. But it's really bad, right? As your kids grow up and they don't, they don't you have to still put stuff up. Because they're not mature enough not to. In other words, that's what Paul's talking about here. Guys, if you've been a believer a long time, there ought to be some growth there. There ought to be some maturity. Why? Because that's just the way it works, right? Anyway. But that's not what we're talking about today. Well, Jeff, when are you ever going to get to what we're talking about today? Here in just a minute. All right. But that is the context of what we're talking about today. Okay? That is the context. And here he goes on to talk. And he goes on and says, one of you is talking about, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I follow Paul. You know, well, I follow Apollos. That is a dead ringer that somebody's immature. Right? They start bragging about that. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a follower over here. You know, I'm a, I'm a Bucks fan. I'm a, you know, and all the ridiculous things. You know, I, I'm a this. Well, you know, I'm wrong. And, and he says, are you not just being merely human? Basically, he says, aren't you just living in the flesh? He says, because this is what's his statement. I think this is, who's Paul's? In other words, who cares who Apollos is? Who's Paul? As if Paul could do something to change your life. I mean, Paul, I mean, this is awesome stuff. I hope you're seeing what he's saying to them, right? Servants to whom you believed. In other words, basically Paul is saying that he and Apollos are just guys that brought the, the seed to them. And I know that happens with me sometimes, that somehow people think that I had something to do with the change in their life. I did not. I just brought the seed and put it in your life, and it did it. Does that make sense to you? I just need you to hear it. Why? Because it's not about who we are. It's what Paul is saying. It's an immature thing to think that somehow Paul had something to do or Apollos had something to do with what God was doing in their life. <laughs> now, you can be grateful. You can be grateful that someone was faithful like Apollo or Apollos, and I'm grateful. But in the end, it's he that changes. It's his seed. Why? Because a farmer can be the hardest working farmer in the world, but if the seed is no good, it doesn't matter how hard he works. I've met a lot of people in, who are in ministry, who have worked hard, just worked so hard that they've, they've, they've hit walls. 
But if God doesn't work, it doesn't matter how hard you work. And that's a fallacy that some people say. Anyway, moving on. So he says, he goes on to say that I planted, Paul said that that's kind of my, my thing, Apollo's water, but God's the one that gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters um, is anything, right? But only God who gives the growth. Guys, this is why I'll say to you every once in a while, I really, and this, I, this, is, this, is, his, this is, his, my heart right out to it. I really don't see what I do is any different than the person who serves at greeting you at the door, the, the lady down the hall that is watching your children so they're not in here, praise God. I really don't see myself as any different because I've learned, right? It's his work and we are all working together. And anytime I think what I do is more important than what other somebody else does, that's when you start getting into trouble if that makes sense to you. Anyway, all right, so he's going to receive, you know, his reward for the faithfulness for the job that God's given him or the gifts or time, whatever, all right? Now, here we go. We are God's fellow workers. We're back to the building metaphor, right? We are all God's workers. In other words, construction workers have all different kinds of jobs, and they work in all kinds of different ways, right? You're God's field, okay? He mixes his metaphors here, and it can get a little confusing. You're God's field. That goes back to the planting. That goes back to the farming. But then he goes on to say, you are God's field, but you're also God's building, right? <clears throat> now, number one is the foundation, right? Number one is the foundation. That's what we're talking about. It says, according to the great, according to the grace, all right, uh, that God uh, has given to me. Can you go back to, uh, yep, one of the grace God's given me. Like a skilled master builder, he says, I laid a foundation. So the first thing that goes in when you're building a building, uh, which is a picture of you, right, is the foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one, and this is a word to you if you're a believer today. This is who you are. Let each person, if you're a believer in this room, right here, right now, let each one take care how he builds on it. Builds on what? Foundation. And what is the foundation? Christ. Okay, so if Christ has changed your life personally, I'm not talking about that's all of it. No, I'm talking about you. Today is about you. If he's changed your life personally, if you're truly his, not just someone who's religious, but someone who is truly his, <coughs> he says to you, take care what you build on that foundation that you've been given. You are safe and as secure as Christ is. That's the beauty of it. But what you build on what he's laid for you really comes down to a lot of your choices. Isn't that Interesting. Interesting. It says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Christ. In other words, he is the, the foundation is the most important part of anything, right? It does not matter what you build if the foundation is not solid. So the foundation is everything. But I find it amazing, too, that my bet is nobody ever stopped by your house and went, oh, man, what a gorgeous foundation. <laughs> Probably not. But here, I find it interesting. I find today people building beautiful houses on top of faulty foundations. I'm not talking about, I'm talking metaphorically, like it's meaning here. And when it all falls, about, falls apart, their life's gone. Interesting, huh? So, I don't know. So everyone who's, the foundation is Christ, but then what you build on it's your responsibility. Jesus had this idea. I use this, 
I use these verses at weddings when I do weddings at times. It says, Jesus, these are Jesus' words. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rains fall, okay? The winds come, right? Floods come, winds blow, beat on the house, and it wouldn't fall because, that, because it was founded on a rock. So the question is, in your life as a believer, or if you're not a believer today, what are you building on? Right? Not are you building. Okay, all of us are building. Everyone in the room is building. But the greatest question that you will ever answer is what are you building on? Right? And does it have what it takes to hold up what you're building? Interesting. Incredible, really. Because remember that winds, rain, storms are going to beat on both houses. Doesn't matter what house, no matter what you build, you're going to have, you're going to have problems. You're going to have winds, rains, floods, hurricanes. You're going to have it all. Not, well, really here in Florida, we're going to have those things too, but metaphorically. He says, but it would not fall because it was founded on a rock. He goes on to say that those of you who don't, you know, it's like someone who builds this house on the sand and all the winds, rain, storms, floods come, beat on the house and it fell with great fall, right? So what is it based upon? Okay, number two, number two. So number one is the foundation. So I shared all of that for you to understand, and that's probably the only time this little series I'm going to talk about that piece. But that is everything, right? The second one is, what are you building with? Okay? So let's say that you're a believer here today, and that, and that you have the foundation of Christ. So there are some responsibilities you have as a believer, and one of them is choosing the materials you're going to build your life with, right? Those are choices that you make. I find this incredible. It's an incredible thing to think about. <clears throat> it's only one verse. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, now if anyone builds on this foundation, right? If anyone builds on this foundation, that is Christ, <coughs> gold, silver, precious stones, and wood, hay, and straw. Okay, so it gives us this, it gives us this look. All right, hang on a second. It gives us this look then, metaphorically, like you would build a building. You know, at that time, there were building materials. Now, if you take a look at these, can you put them back up? If you take a look at these building materials, he gives you six, but there are only two types. The thing about gold, silver, and precious stones, those are things that are very costly, Right? but they're also permanent, right? They're things that won't decay and won't fall apart. Right? Now, the second group, wood, hay, straw, those are things that are adequate, they work. You can build a house of wood, I don't know about my house is built of wood, right? Or at least part of it. So we use wood today, of course it's different, you know, you're messing up your illustration when you use tree did and it can last a little bit longer. But in reality, wood, especially at Jesus' time, it just wasn't going to last long. You know, and then they would use straw, and, you know, and stubble, and they'd mix it with mud and form of clay with, you know, those clay bricks. But the problem with them, after the sun beats on it in a while, it disintegrates. It's, it's just not permanent material. It's usable, but it's not permanent. Uh, it's not like it's no good, but it's temporary. Now, guys, here's the thought. My prayer for you today is that this, you would get this. Because most are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I knew you were going to say that. All right. I want you to get this. 
So the question I'm asking you, if you're a believer here today, what are you building with? Your life, your choice. And I'm not here to judge you. This is not beat on you day. This is not make you feel bad day. This is just asking you to ask a simple question because everybody at this time of the year is always asked that question. They do. I don't know why they do. We call them, you know, you know resolutions, you know. We, we take a look, right? We evaluate who we are. And, and even people who aren't believers, I mean, the majority of people do. It's the only time of the year we do that. And I know it happened to me. I mean, I'm sitting up in Tennessee, right? And I'm freezing. And, um, and of course, I have three daughters, and they went out to all shop. And my, Christ, you know, my, my son, he went out on a run, you know, and, and so, and he goes forever on his runs. And, and it was 20-whatever degrees when he went, and, and I ain't going running in 20. I ain't going running in 72 degrees. <laughs> But anyway, that's just the thought. So I'm there by myself, and I was amazed how I was just thinking, you know, it's 2018. 2017 went blowing by. And you begin to evaluate what kind of impact your life having. What are you doing? And then you want to make changes. I don't know why maybe God's put that in us. Even people who aren't believers think that way. I mean, New Year's resolutions, right? And all the different things that people do at this time of the year. It really is just asking yourself, and what, what building material are you using, right? Right? What, beer, what, what are you going to build with? And so, I don't know, I began thinking about that myself. And so... I thought it'd be a perfect time to do a message like this just to share with everybody because everybody's kind of on that page anyway of asking yourself the question, hey, let me, let me just throw this at you. Why do you think, because everything in this life is temporary, why do you think that when we build with things that are temporary, like wood, hay, and straw, it's not that they're no value, but a lot of people look at, well, yeah, we'll just build my house with wood because it's not a big deal. Um, because by the time this house wears out, I'll be dead and gone anyway, so what does it matter? That is somebody who thinks in temporary thoughts. That is somebody who thinks small because they don't see anything past themselves and the amount of time they have here. Does that make sense? Again, I'm not trying to beat on him, but I just want you to see it. But he's called you to think long-term. Not just what I can get by with, but the investments in, that I can make that are going to last, that are permanent. And you begin to think differently. Think about everything that people run after today. They're all temporary. And the, the bad part about it is, is that the satisfaction, contentment, and peace are only temporary too. So if you go running after, I don't know, some sort of success or some sort of a thing, and that's what you're counting on, right? And what you're going to find out is, is that once you get it, it, its contentment is only temporary, and then you get discontent, and you, and you go to the next thing. That's because there's nothing in this world, because you, see, God created you to be eternal, and nothing temporary is going to fill that 
that need. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes is that God has created you with eternity in your heart. That's why you think like you do. You don't think, you don't think, you don't think just, I mean, you, you're thinking, what's going to happen way down there? Why? Because that's the way you were made. And anytime you build with wood, hay, straw, it's a temporary fix, but it's not going to fill that place. So what you build with is pretty big. There's some contentment, though, that comes. When you start building with the stuff that you know is going to be there generations after you're gone. Why? Because you're thinking long-term. You're thinking about impact. You're thinking about how can I make a difference? God, how can you use me to make a difference in these people's lives for an eternity? And yet we get all worked up about the wood, hay, and straw. We even gripe and complain about how much, you know, gold, silver, and precious stone cost, right? Why? Because it's real easy, guys, when you live in the world in which you live, to get sucked up into the way everybody thinks. Why? Because it's temporary living. It's temporary living. Interesting, huh? You know, I just wanted you to see it. I just wanted you to see this series, because you can't understand what a church is if you can't understand, first of all, who you are. And then when you get who you are, then this is us. We are just a whole lot of who you are's. I know it's terrible English, but I think you get it, right? And when you get on that page, <coughs> everybody's, you'll see the differences God's made us with and how it all fits together. It's like a constructing a building. It's really cool. Talk to you about it weeks to come. But today is about you. You know, it's just about you. And as you look on, a, you know, first Sunday, this is our first Sunday of this new year. I will, I will, I will tell you if, you, if you're longing for a peace and a contentment that is eternal, then you have to start building your life with things that are, are, that are permanent also. Okay, the quick fixes and those things that the world offer you, I promise you, you can keep running after them. But at the end of 2018 and in 2019, you'll be looking at the same thing. Sometimes you have to live long enough to see it. If you're young and you still think, oh, no, I think it's all there, then, you know, you go do your plan. And when you find out it doesn't work, then come back. Because it doesn't. Because I've had the opportunity to be around a whole lot of people in the last years upon years. Lots of people who have been, you know, who aren't believers. Now, when you're a believer, it changes everything. But who are not believers, who have, who have just gotten such incredible stuff, such incredible success, such incredible athletes mainly I've been around, but a lot of business guys, a lot of different things. And I'm not talking about those who are believers because I found that those who are truly believers, it doesn't matter how much success you have, it never gets to you. Why? Because you know it's all his, and I just want to be doing what he's called me to do to invest in his work. So it doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot if you're a believer, right? Because it's what he's given you. I just need to be accountable for what he's given me. Does that make sense? But when you're not a believer, who, who, he who dies with the most toys, you really think you win until you have the most toys, and you realize you lost. And I've just seen it over and over and over and over and over again. And the thing I wanted to share today is that number one, if you're not a believer, that's the place to start. And guys, I'm not talking about being religious. Oh, Lord, help us. Being religious is just building with wood, hay, and straw, right? It's him that makes the difference. That's what the foundation's all about, right? Number three, and this is where I'll close. Serving with the right motivation. 
You know, so because what happens is, now if you're brand new in your faith, then, then you need to be more of a focus. Right? It's like, you know, when my granddaughter was in town, it's like when she was the focus. Right? She needed to be. Um, my whole family is just Googles about this little 20-month-old with curly blonde hair and just Googles. Is that a word? Googles? Yeah, it is, but whatever. But it just is unbelievable. And because the, the little one's the focus, but also the little one needs to be the focus. Because I don't know if you've all been talking and then the little one disappears. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. They need to be. They need the attention. So I have no problem with that. But here's the issue, right? Here's the thought. Here's what you're thinking, right? Is that as we grow in our faith, there is a natural development of wanting to grow up. I don't know about you, but I always had it. I was, I don't know, by the time I was four years old, I was dying to mow the grass. But then at nine, when I was allowed to mow the grass, I didn't want to mow the grass anymore. <laughs> because I saw it as a way of growing up. If you are a believer today, you're gonna to have that same feeling. You're not gonna to wanna to stay in this infant stage where you're constantly having to be fed and diapers changed because you've messed up so much. You're gonna get tired of that and you're gonna eventually wanna grow up as a believer. Those who don't wanna grow up, there's something, there's an issue, right? And it becomes this incredible picture of what that looks like. That's what this is. So, so much of a church's job, therefore, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, and that's the problem when I've looked ahead too far. I just want to tell you everything, right? But one of a church's biggest jobs is helping people who are either brand, who, who, who are brand new in their faith or young in their faith to help them to grow, to give them a good, stable, secure environment where they don't have to learn everything by messing up. If you had good parents, you know what I'm talking about. Not spiritual, just physical parents. If you had good parents who spent a lot of time with you, they saved you a lot of heartache in this life. But if you didn't have good parents, you had to learn the hard way most everything you did. That's a tough way to live, guys. A church is supposed to help new believers I mean, this all makes sense. Now, as you see the metaphor, the the metaphors are brilliant. And you're going to see them. We're going to see them unfold in the next few weeks. You know, Jesus and Paul, these metaphors, these comparisons, whatever you call them, they're brilliant when you begin to say, wow, that is what that means. Right? But the motivation is interesting. Um, Guys, I want to be done. So here in just a minute. So skip down to... um, uh, Skip down to the very end, verse 12. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, we've already talked about that. Each one's work, that is what you do, will be manifest, that is it'll be revealed. For the day, the day, that is when that day comes, uh, when, you'll, when it'll become manifest, uh, we'll disclose it. What does that mean? Well, think about this. When a believer, when you step into eternity, Okay? The only thing you're going to take with you is that which is permanent. The temporary is not allowed in the eternal for those of you who have ears to hear. 
right? So all this wood, hay, and straw, that's not allowed where you're going. Why? Because it just, it has no place there. Only those things that matter are going to be allowed. So this is what he says. This, isn't this cool? Look how cool this is. He says the day will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. Because it'll burn up. It'll decay or burn up. It's just one of those things, all right? All right? This is an incredible thing. For the day will share what it is. Interesting. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, I love reading the book of Philippians. Paul wrote the book of Philippians. They were maturing believers. Therefore, there's nothing corrective in the book of Philippians. These, these folks were growing and doing great. And Paul made this statement. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Okay, that is a sign of growing up. And that's what he's telling them. Hey, guys, you were obedient when I was there. That is, you were following God's word. You had a desire to live by it. He said, but the cool part is not that you were obeying when I was there, but that it's actually happening when I'm not there. It's like your children. I hate to keep going back to that. Oh, yeah, that can be perfect angels when you're sitting in the room. But how do you tell when they've really grown up is when they keep doing it when you're not there then you know it's theirs, right? Not just yours. So that's what he's telling them, guys. This is so cool. You have grown so fast that <laughs> your obedience is even there to who the Lord is when somebody's not watching you. He goes on to talk about to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your, that's your work. That's your building. Why? Because I think it's interesting because people, people argue about this, but Paul says the two things in the same sentence. First of all, he says, work out your own salvation, right? That is, start building. But then he goes on to say, it's God who works in you to will and do according to his good pleasure. So which is it, your work or his work? I don't know. But there is your responsibility that you have. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. And he says over in 1 Corinthians, it has to do with the building materials and stuff you choose to use. Oh, that's interesting. Look at this Proverbs verse. Now, this was written 3,000 years ago. When we talk about motivation, so it's not just doing the right things, it's having the heart that does them. Because if the heart to do what God's called you to do is not there, you eventually will quit doing it. So let's take a look at it. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who's stingy. And I'm not talking about stinginess today. Okay, if that applies to you, then take it with you, great. But here's what I'm talking about is motivation. This is what Solomon, this is brilliant, okay? This is brilliant. Look at this. Don't eat the bread of a man who is stingy, that is greedy, that is who is self-absorbed. Okay? Do not desire all the things he's offering, his delicacies. Okay? Why? Because he's a man that's inwardly calculating. Right? You see the word inwardly calculating? If you like writing in your Bible, just put up above it, hidden agenda. Right? That's the common translation of inwardly calculating. Right? So what happens is the guy who's all about himself, the stingy guy, he brings you over for a nice dinner, right? takes you on a nice trip. Right? This Proverbs 23, okay, it is, <laughs> it is the proverb from which there's no such thing as a free lunch sprung. Right? 
Why? Because he's inwardly calculating. He's saying, eat and drink. Oh, enjoy yourself. I just am such a good guy because I just want to do something nice for you. No. He says his heart's not with you. Why? Because he's got a bad motive. It's not so much what he's doing, it's why he's doing it, right? As believers, the motive is just as important as what you do, right? Incredible. Because it goes on to say in Romans 12, to present your body a living sacrifice. One of the hallmarks of being a believer, one of the hallmarks of this is you, but although this is us, is that we want to give and sacrifice for others, expecting nothing in return. That is what Christ did for us. That's why Jesus made the statement. The greatest among you will be the servant. Why? Because that's who he was. We had huge needs, and he came and gave to us. And that's who we're supposed to be. Using not just not a dead sacrifice, but a living one. That is sacrificing our time, our talents, our resources to be who God's called us to be so that he can use us. So as I close today, this is you. We, or us, if I can say it this way, are only as strong as you. Right? So one to start there. From now, from, from the rest of the time, we're just going to be talking about what this is us means. Because I've just found that God rarely uses the individual in great ways. He uses the group. That's why the church. He would rather unify us. He'd rather have us to love and trust one another because that shares a much bigger message to the world than one person doing something great. Why? Because our world can't get together on anything. Have you watched C-SPAN lately? Do y'all know what that is? They can't get along on anything. God bless them. It's amazing anything gets done. But if you got unity, it's amazing. You get more done. You get more done in six months and when there's unity then you can get done in 60 years. People arguing and griping and complaining over different things. I'm so looking forward to sharing this with you because this is us, right? But you can't understand what this is us means until you understand this is you.